Uh, it's a great uh, song and great film clip from um, the movie Saved, which I'll have a few comments about and afterthoughts on the website. If you don't know what that is, just check out the website. But here I was, uh, not long ago, a couple years ago, in the middle of Moscow, by myself, the person that I had uh, been doing some traveling with from this country had left. My translator was, I was meeting along with some other young people who I was going to take to uh, the only, uh, that I could find, the only uh, American type food which, for which I desperately longed because the food there was just horrible. But um, no wonder they became communist, my gosh. But um, I was, I said, I can meet you at this diner that I found. I know where it is. I've been there once, so I can find it. And uh, they said, oh, you should. I said, yeah, yeah, I'll just meet you there. It's, it's, it's a walk from the hotel, but not that bad. So they said, fine. So I was going to meet them there. And, you know, things change as things get dark. And, and sometimes you don't quite remember the streets the way they really were, um, at least as you think you thought they were. So I'm lost in the middle of Moscow, 5, 6 o'clock on a Friday night, much like New York City in terms of the the pedestrian traffic and so forth, except people are much, much darker, and not in skin color, but just in terms of uh, there's not many smiles and there is no friendly. I mean, there's nobody friendly and there's nobody, you know, whatever. And, um, and I'm lost and I don't know what to do. And, um, you know, I don't have a cell phone, can't call somebody. So I finally just stopped right there in the street. This is, this is the truth. And I just said... Does anybody here speak English? I'm lost. And everybody just looked at me like, who is this idiot? I had, I had to do it twice. Does anybody here speak English? I'm lost. And I'm sure they're thinking, you know, this guy's a madman. And finally some little young man came up. I get speak English, you know. And I'm thinking, I'll take whatever I can get. And so we began, you know, the thing that you do with signs and words that he knew. And he spoke about as much English as I speak Russian, which is previat kogdala. And, and uh, that's about it, you know, and uh, which I just said, uh, good day and, and how are you? But um, um, I finally found my way, long story short. But have you ever been trying to get someplace and you just didn't have a clue and nobody spoke the language and, or the language they spoke was entirely different than what you understood? I so many times think of that and I have thought how many times people may come into a church or into a place where there are a lot of a people of faith who call themselves Christians and, and, and maybe they're trying, maybe those people are trying to get somewhere and they start trying to, and they hear these people talking in languages that they don't understand. Maybe it's, they're talking about praise God. Maybe they're talking about some other kind of what I call christian talk and, and, and here's some person who's just trying to, trying to get in touch with God. And he's hearing all this Christian-y talk, and he can't figure out, what the heck are they talking about? And can be just about as lost as I was in the middle of Moscow, not speaking the language. That's what we're talking about this morning. Because too often what happens among those of us who are followers of Christ is we think, we think we're doing God's work by, by talking a certain way or, or even creating a certain subculture, which is what it becomes. And as a result of that, we, we begin to maybe even talk about all the things that are bad with the world and the society. And as, as we begin creating that new subculture, we do exactly what, what Steve was talking about earlier. We start creating our own little, little domains, whether it be the Christian coffee 
coffee shop or the Christian grocery store or the Christian uh, interior design place or whatever it might happen to be. Um, I have a friend here, actually, um, who in this area, who, who not very many years ago was driving by a church not too far from here, and on the church was a sign that said, Jesus saves. And my friend had a young mom at the time and, and had a little eight or nine-year-old girl, her eight or nine-year-old girl with her, and, and uh, the little girl said, hey, mom, what does that mean, Jesus saves? And my friend, I don't think should be ashamed of this, but they, she says she is. She had no clue what that meant. And she said, well, and wanting to give her daughter an answer. This is a true story. She said, I, I guess it means that Jesus doesn't want us to waste. Good answer. No clue what this whole Jesus saves thing meant. Of course, now you probably could, some banks could probably put that. Jesus saves at, you know, 1% interest or whatever it is. But, but, um, but I mean, we get these little, these little lingo, this little talk going. And we got our own little, we got our own little Christian, I call this little Christian-y, I know that's not a word, but I like that word. We got this little Christian-y culture going. So, and by the way, I just made a little list here of some things. How to know if you're drowning in a Christian-y subculture. So maybe, maybe we could just hit a few of these. Your top ten music on iTunes includes the old rugged cross. You're pretty much in a, in a Christian subculture, if that's the case, okay? That's a hymn for those of you who don't know that, all right? You haven't heard a hell or a damn in your circle of friend in years. Of course, you probably don't go to Renaissance Church if that's the case. Either, but but you, you, the Christian Yellow Pages is your favorite form of advertising. So I don't know if you and if you ever heard of that before. Steve talked. We about once every, every year or two years, we'll get a phone call at the church office. Do you want to be in the Christian Yellow Pages? And I say, Hell no! Bye. Okay. No, I don't do that. No. Sorry, I'm a little, that's a little rough. Sorry about that. Uh, sorry for you Christian-y people. But, but I mean, why do you want to do that? Why do you want to do that? You know, Jesus says you're to be the light of the world. And you hear, yeah, well, I just want to hang out with people who know Jesus. Well, that's great. Okay. Um, you might be in a Christian-y subculture if you think Michael Jackson is the lead singer for the Jackson 5. Okay. You might be just a little bit behind times, okay? Or maybe this, you're in a christian subculture if you have no idea who Monica the Musical was named after. Just think about that. All right, it's an off-Broadway thing some of you may not be familiar with. How about this? You might be in a christian subculture if your idea of a hot night with your wife is a Bible study. You need help, baby. You need help, let me tell you. You do. I mean, I can do some pastoral counseling, but I don't know if I can help you with that. You need deep, deep, deep-seated help if that's your idea of a hot night with your wife. Um, we'll just leave that there, okay? Um, you might be in a christian subculture if salvation, spiritual, eternal salvation, is partially dependent upon your voting record. You might, oh, gosh. Somebody's going to get a little more serious here. You might, you might be in a christian subculture if you're more concerned Think about this one. If you're more concerned about prayer in school than school lunches. Oh. I've known people over the years who were so concerned about they're outlawing prayer in the school. And I'm like, I can't do that. You can pray anywhere you want to pray. They can't outlaw prayer anywhere. You can pray anywhere. They may outlaw some verbally spoken prayer, but hey, 
A lot of my prayers aren't verbal anyway. It's me talking to God. And in doing so, they're not even concerned about the fact there might be hungry kids and we have a school lunch program in, in this country in, in many, many places, and they're not even concerned about that. Something, something's, we've missed a point here, haven't we? We're concerned, oh, we can't, we can't pray, but who cares about the kids being hungry? Well, let's think about that. Just think. How about this one? This is one that I have seen as a minister, and it bothers me. You're more concerned about having the death penalty in force than those that are involved. Now, I'm not going to make a statement here in terms of whether you are for or against the death penalty. You, we, we all, I'm sure in this crowd, this size, we are all going to disagree on that. And that's okay. That's fine. We can disagree on that. Um, that's not my point. My point is, I know people who call themselves people of faith who are more concerned about the fact that in their particular state, the death penalty is not in operation, and they're more concerned about that than those people who are in death row or their families became more aware of that as I got to know some of the people involved with the prison fellowship ministry, Charles Colson and so forth, who, who headed that up, if you know who, what that is or who that is. And, and you know, the, the real issue there, and we can talk about the death penalty all you want, but, but the real issue there is the people that are involved. We missed the point. Once again, on these things. And, you know, there's illustration after illustration of this that I, that I run across in my in my circles and so forth. I was talking with one of our neighbors. We have, we have a great little neighborhood where we live in Short Hills, and we have little barbecues from time to time, and I also get invited to some other ones. I, we, we thought about having a, a, a program here at Renaissance, Barbecue with Rich, but they won't let me do that. But um, and I always enjoy them because you get into such great conversations with people. And, uh, and I, I, this, was, this was one that was in our neighborhood. And, um, and some lady, you know, everybody in our neighborhood knows I'm a minister, and they're always asking me, you know, crazy questions and give me a hard time, which is fine. But uh, this, this one lady was telling me about, she's from Southern California as well. Uh, I think from the same area where Steve is from. And um, she was telling me about how she was on a date in high school or college, I can't remember which, uh, with a quote-unquote, her words, a, a born-again. That's how she used it as an, you know, I guess kind of as an adjective in just describing this person. And, um, and she was on the church bus with them and kind of excited about going with this guy and they were going to the beach and and they all got to the beach, and they took off their cover-ups to go jump in. And, and she had on not an immodest, but a, a modest bikini or two-piece. And all of a sudden, the, 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 the student leader the, came right over. We don't allow two-piece bathing suits in our group. And she told me how immediately the guy was, that she had, was there to have a date with all of a sudden had this dilemma. Was he going to stick with the group? Or was it going to be with the chick in the two-piece bathing suit? I'll tell you what, that, that's not a hard decision for me at that age. I, I just want you to know that. <laughs> it's not a hard decision at this age. Well, no, I won't go anyway, but uh, we better leave it at that. But you, you understand the point here. Where this whole thing, well, there's a certain form of attire that, that is approved Christian dress. Okay, we're not talking immodest and things. That's a, that's a whole different deal. It's more of a, it's a whole di- more of a thing about style and, and, and fashion and, and, and other things as opposed to a person's, quote-unquote, Christian values. And Steve Young, our creative arts director, told me this week about a story of a friend of his in, in Southern California. And this is just, this is, you're not going to believe this story, but it's true young man uh, who in student ministries, like a youth pastor type of position, and a single guy, started dating a, a young lady who had been a Playboy bunny a few years earlier. 
And um, as they began to date, and she began to go to church with him, she became a person of faith. And they became very involved and to the point of where she eventually, they, they, they got engaged. And then the church board, I hate that term, but the church board found out she had been a Playboy bunny. And they told him, if you're going to be on staff, you can't, you can't do this. Well, he broke off the engagement. Can you believe that? What did he, there are so many ways that's an idiotic thing to do, but I won't even go into that either. But I mean, you know, let's see. Working at the church or a Playboy bunny is my wife. Let me think about that one too. No, I'm not going to. We won't. We don't need to do that. Um, I'm a shallow son of a gun, aren't I? I mean, you know, you guys, you guys know that. I mean, you know, you just might as well, you know, you might as well know that. Anyway, the whole thing is this, folks. Following Christ is not about secret handshakes, Christian lingo, prescribed lifestyles, acceptable clothing. That's not what following Christ is. That's what so many times, quote unquote, Christiany people have made it. And I'm pretty ticked off about it. I don't mind telling you. Because that's not what it is. And they all do this whole thing, WWJD. What would, that's another inside thing. Well, what would Jesus do? WWJD. Well, what's a fine thing? I mean, if you wanted to ask you, that's a good question. I ask myself that question sometimes. You know, but I, I, I will tell you this. I know Jesus wouldn't act like a lot of these people do. Because I know Jesus pretty well. And I've read a lot about him right here. And he didn't. With people. In fact, you know who Jesus had the hardest time with? The freaking religious people. That's who he had a hard time with. So I guess I'm Christ like, at least in that way. Listen, you can create a Christian culture without ever affecting the heart. And we don't want to do that. I want to do something very, very briefly, very quickly. I want to just jump right into, into my theme, which is sort of the subtitle of our theme, which is creating a culture or changing one. And I really want to talk about this one thing. I'm going to do this one, talk about this one thing, and I'm going to give you three things underneath it very quickly, and, uh, and just go from there, all right? So uh, get ready back there. We're going to just kind of go through these things. Um, my theme is real simple. It's living as a lighthouse or being in a bunker. Living as a light. Now, just think about this for a moment. We're just going to, we're just going to deal with this. Um, I'm going to show you some passages of Scripture. I'm going to show you three things that kind of support this thing. And here's what, I'm using a metaphor here. You're, you're either going to be a lighthouse or you're going to get down in your bunker and kind of put your walls up and, and be protected. This, I believe, first of all, and I'm not going to sit here and just do, I, I've done this before and I, and I get mad at myself when I do it. I, I really believe in where I am. I really believe in this church and, and what we're trying to do here and so forth. And, and I have to be careful about that because I end up being a little too over-the-top salesman for Renaissance sometimes. And uh, I suppose I can get away with that as, with my position, but I don't want to be too... Ob- I, don't wanna, I, don't wanna, I don't mind being obnoxious. I don't want to be too obnoxious about that. But this really is the philosophy of Renaissance. More important, more important than that, I believe this should be the, Renas- this should be the, the philosophy of individual believers, whether or not they're a part of Renaissance here or any other church or, or no church or whatever, if they're followers of Christ. This should be our, our we, should be, we should have a desire to be a lighthouse. And I can get pretty passionate about this. Because I've seen so many people shut out, just shut out of, of, of the whole deal of, of following Christ because of the kind of stuff we saw in that film clip earlier from the movie Saved, because of people, you know, using their insider christian lingo, 
because of people doing all kinds of other sorts of things. Obviously, I think, well-meaning and sincere, but not really having a clue of what they're really about. I had my, we had a, a, a very small uh, ambassadors group this time, this month, with my, the, the group that I meet with, the UN ambassadors. And, and I, I ended up talking for a long time with the ambassador from Maldives, which is a little island nation south of India. And I got a personal limit. He said, I really wish you'd come and visit us. Um, it's just a, it sounds like a, it's a very delightful little island in the middle. And they got hit a little bit by the tsunami, but not, they didn't, not nearly as bad as Indonesia and some of the other places. But uh, he, really, he said, I really would love for you to come visit us, Rich. But he's an interesting guy. And one of the things that he said to me when we were talking about they're having elections and so forth, which is always going on with these ambassadors, somebody's always having an election. Most of them, they're not elections like ours. There are guns, and there are all kinds of other things that are going on. And, and, uh, and he, he was telling me about these. I said, well, what's going to happen to your job? And he said to me, I, I don't know exactly. All I, all I want to do is try to represent my country in a worthy manner. And I, I just love that. And that's most of the ambassadors that I know are like that. And yet, I, I just maybe this is the christian part of me kicking in, but immediately I kicked into a verse that I thought of, that we, those of us who are people of faith, are ambassadors of Christ. And I thought to myself, some, just a quick thought, you know, I wonder how I represent my, my king sometimes. Hopefully it's not just in some sort of an insider manner, either you're in or you're not. Hopefully it's not cloistered in some kind of a bunker mentality, but it has a lighthouse to it. Because that's what Jesus says. I want to show you three very quick things. Living as a lighthouse or being in a bunker. Number one, seek to be a positive influence. Seek to be a positive influence. Let's just look to the words of Jesus. Matthew 5. Let me tell you why you are here. This is Jesus. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you, you, if you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be a light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bears, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. <laughs> Be generous with your lives by opening up to others. You're prompt, excuse me, you'll prompt people to open up with God, the generous Father in heaven. You're to be a light, bringing out the God colors of the world. I love that. I had the privilege of standing in the spot where Jesus uttered these words. And it was in this hill behind the Sea of Galilee, back up over here. And I said, I want to climb that hill. And it was like 110 degrees, and, and I climbed the hill. And because uh, I wanted it, because you could just see it from everywhere around. And that was what Jesus was referring to. Everybody can see this in that part of the West. That's what he was referring to. Let me ask you a question about your life. If, it, just, just for a moment. We've got a lot of different kinds of people in here, and I realize that. But let me just talk for a moment, just for a moment, to those of you who are people of faith. Is that your life? Are you bringing out the God colors of the world by how you live, by how you treat people? Are they seeing Christ in you? 
Now, those of you who are seekers here, and, and maybe you're not a person of faith, you know, one of the things I hope you take away from this is that maybe you've seen some, some, some poor ambassadors. <laughs> and I hope you won't hold that against Christ. Because that's really the issue here. And that's what's so much more important than, than a renaissance or a church or anything else. Seek to be a positive influence. I'm going to quote from this book twice today. And I, have more, I will have more for you on the, on the afterthoughts of our, of our website. Again, if you don't know what that is, go to our website. Go to our website anyway. Just check it out. You need to check out stuff. Um, this comes from a book called Fearless Faith by John Fisher. Let me show you this. This just compliments. It's the high road of involvement, interaction, and mutual respect for those in the world has been abandoned in favor of the low road of disengagement, isolation, and scorn. Thousands of Christians lobby for conservative legislation. Few go into politics. Thousands of Christians protest abortion clinics. Few provide for single moms or adopt babies. Thousands boycott blasphemous movies. Few seek a vocation in Hollywood or, or New York. That says it all right there. It's easy to protest. And we get so hung up on all that stuff. And I'm not going to question the, the motives of those people. I'm not going to say they're all terrible individuals and you know, ought to be this or that. I'm not going to say that, but I'm just... I believe Christ has called us something much higher. He shows us that right here. Seek to be a positive influence. If you're a person of faith, seek to be a positive influence wherever you are. And if you're not a person of faith, this is what we're to be, just so you'll know. I want you to understand. This is what we are to be. And if you haven't seen that, I'm sorry. I really am. Second thing I want you to see to live as a lighthouse or be in a bunker. Seek to be a positive influence. Number two, always be influence aware. Always be influence aware. What does that mean? That's a word. Yeah, I made that word up. I made a little combination of a word. Two things here. Number one, how can I influence? There comes a time, I've I, I got to add this little caveat to this. Certainly we're not to build our own culture, but there are times when we are possibly um, burdened or led or, or, or have a desire to do something about the culture if it's wrong. Let me give you an example. William Wilberforce saw slavery in the British Empire. In the Brit- and, and he said, something has to be done. He set out to say, I'm going to, I'm going to do away with slavery. Forty Six years later, 46 years, so that wasn't the cause de jour, you know what I mean? It was, it was a long deal. 46 years later, slavery was abolished in the United Kingdom. Three days later, three days later William Wilberforce died. It's a guy that had a cause. Martin Luther King saw what was wrong in this country. And how a large number of people were being discriminated against simply because of the color of their skin. Something needs to be done. And he did that. Cost him a lot. Cost him his life. A lot more before that. So there are times when we look at the culture and we say, something's got to be done about it. It's interesting to me that in most cases, not in all, but in most cases, these are people of faith. That are, that are just seeking to change some of these things. So, when I talk about seek to be, uh, or, or always be an influence aware, how I can influence. Now, in many cases, it may not be a Wilberforce. It may not be a, a Martin Luther King. It might be in your sphere of influence, in your business, in your community, in your club, in your neighborhood. 
your town. Just be, be that influence. The other thing that I've got to say about this, and I've got to say this, and that is you also need to, you need to, this is where sometimes the Christian-y people, as I'm calling them, get a little, and this is where they have a point, but they get you know, a little carried away. We need to also, not only to seek to influence, but we need to seek how we're being influenced. Sometimes the people who want to kind of divide and make their own subculture are doing it because they're worried or they're concerned or they've seen damage done by the influence of the culture on other people of faith. And so they say, well, we need a place to go. We need a, a, a quote-unquote Christian coffee shop or whatever to go so we can escape from the quote-unquote stuff of the world or whatever it happens to be. And, and I don't necessarily want to deal with that whole issue, but here's what I want you to think about, and that is we do need to examine those things and those people who influence us. Because sometimes that can be for the negative as well. Let me show you a, let me show you a verse that I, think, that I think says it all. It's from the Apostle Paul. Go ahead and show it. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, or 15. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Some of you probably heard your mothers and fathers say that. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts. It's true. And we need, to, we need to examine our motives. Or excuse me, we need to examine those around us, the motives of those around us. We need to examine the influences of those around us, certainly. And in some cases, there might be some places that I shouldn't go because of the influence that they have. If you're an alcoholic, it's probably not a good idea to go to the bar very many times, depending on where you are. Now, some of you are okay with that, but, but you understand the point. Now, if, you're, if you've got a really problem with overeating, you may not want to go to some of those buffets. I avoid those things. I really do. I avoid those things. Why? Because I know what I'm going to do when I get there. I'm going to sin as bad as anybody who's drunk in any bar. Okay? So, I, I, it's just, I just, I try to avoid them. And I go to some, sometimes I play in golf tournaments and they have, well, we have a buffet for you before we play golf. And I'm like, oh, gosh. You know, somebody chained me to the range. I need to be there anyway. Um, my point is, there, we, we, we need to think about that. Sometimes there are people that maybe I need to avoid simply because of the influence that they can have on me. So that's, I'm not saying that doesn't happen. That, that's something you need to think about. And that's a little caveat to this whole thing that I want you to think about. Always be influence aware. How I can influence and how I am influenced. Third thing I want you to see about this living as a lighthouse or being, being in a bunker. Seek to be a positive influence. Always be influence aware. Third thing, live authentically. Live authentically. Here's what I want you to see. If you're a follower of Christ... Well, let the Bible speak for itself. If you're a follower of Christ, here's what you're to do. Right here, Philippians chapter 2. Go out into the world, uncorrupted, a breath of fresh air in this squalid and polluted society, written in 66 AD. <laughs> provide, provide people with a glimpse of good living, and the living God carry the light-giving message into the night. If you're a follower of Christ, live like it, live authentically, and, and just let God work through That's what he's saying here. Just go out, be a breath of fresh air in this world. Last week I gave you that great quote from uh, St. Francis. Preach Christ at all times, use words when necessary. That's, that says it all to me. That's one of my, it's part of my mission statement, my personal mission statement in life. Live authentically. Let me show you this. This is, again, from that book I mentioned, Fearless Faith. Watch this. Instead of engaging our culture in a meaningful way, we Christians 
have often preferred a siege mentality, retreating into the safety of our Christian subculture. We're more comfortable fighting culture than we are being constructively involved in it. The more we Christians remove ourselves from the world, the worse the argument becomes to stay away from the world. If we, watch this, if we were training our children to understand and critically examine the world's popular art, literature, music, and film, instead of limiting them to safe Christian versions of these things, we might have a different world waiting for us in the next generation. Hear, hear. I can't say it any better than that. Live authentically. If you're a Christ follower, live like it. Doesn't mean you can't examine things. Doesn't mean you have to like or agree or go along with everything that happens. But learn to think for yourself. And if you're a seeker, explore. Ask questions. Doubt. Be skeptical. But whatever you do, do not think that being a follower of Christ is about lingo, politics, fashion, acceptable dress, or some other subcultural kind of thing. That's not what being a follower of Christ is. Let me, uh, let me wrap it up. I want to give you this statement and we'll pray and get out of here. But I'm, this, this, is, this is it. I, got, I think I have it for you on PowerPoint. God does not give one whit about Christians creating some subculture where we all use christian terms and sit around a campfire singing kumbaya. God does care about us believing in Him. He's all about relentlessly pursuing us. All society benefits from His involvement in our lives as we live and move within the talents, within the gifts, within our own personalities. He's restoring in us, not some cookie-cutter, mindless, heartless followership of Christ. That's what God cares about. Your life, working in you, and that alone will affect everyone around you. Let's pray. Lord, this is, uh, in some ways, a, a hard thing to talk about. Because I really don't want to offend people and I really don't want to tell all my Christian friends that they are doing damage to your cause. Sometimes they are, sometimes I don't know what, but that's not the issue. God, what we need to hear in our own hearts and in our own lives is we don't need to try to with retreat. Those of us who are here who are clearly followers of you, we don't need to retreat to some refuge. But we need to stay in the world where people can see what you're doing in our hearts and in our lives. And Lord God, in a crowd like this, I know there are several here who are, who are seeking, still not quite sure where they are with you. And while we're so thankful they're here, God, I pray that you you'd just help them to know and to understand that what it means to follow you is, is not accepting some different kind of language or or. or doing this or not doing that or some other kind of thing. But it's a heart that says, God, I want to follow you. I want to trust you. I believe Jesus came and lived and suffered and died and rose again to give me new life and a relationship with you, God.
and I want to. I just want to. That's where I want to. That's where I want to be. Help all of us to think, and to continue to think on that. And we thank you, Lord, for your love and your grace in all of our lives. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.